Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I was joined by Patrick from Tracking. Tracking is a digital platform for sourcing, managing, and returning empty shipping line containers. And despite how much time they've spent in the headlines the last couple of years, containers and all of the issues and logistics around them just aren't something we talk about that much. So I love doing a deep dive into that world with Patrick. We talked about predictability, collaboration, and sustainability. And we talked about whether self-driving containers are the future of transportation. I really enjoyed the episode. And since I don't think there will be many listeners who containers don't impact, I know you're all going to enjoy this one as well. You can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com, on our YouTube channel, or anywhere else that you subscribe to the show. It was episode 341. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. When you're looking for cutting-edge resources on innovation and trends across supply chain, where do you go? What about when you're on a mission to find like-minded professionals and cultivate relationships that go beyond an emoji reaction? And what about when you're trying to generate leads, build campaigns, and get ahead of the game in the unique world of supply chain marketing? Supply Chain has been missing a single collaborative hub that brings people and ideas together in an environment that is safe yet stimulating for everyone until now. Just one platform that's as dynamic and innovative as you are. Welcome to the Secret Society of Supply Chain, a private network for the supply chain community. An industry first brought to you by supply chain media entrepreneur, Sarah Barnes Humphrey. The Secret Society of Supply Chain brings professionals of all backgrounds and experience levels together in the industry's largest dynamic network, focusing on industry learning and career development, as well as networking and community. The Secret Society of Supply Chain hosts all the content, connection, and creativity you need for supply chain success. But which group is for you? Well, head over to letstalksupplychain.com, find the Secret of Society banner, and take the quiz and join our waitlist. There are limited number of spots available, so make sure to get on that waitlist so that you are one of the first into the Secret Society of Supply Chain. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Today, I'm excited to welcome a supply chain and IT leader who uses transformational strategies to influence multi-million dollar revenue growth to our Woman in Supply Chain series. With big name brands like Nokia and Pfizer under her belt, she's a supply chain force to be reckoned with. But who is she? I'll let you know after the poll of the week. So the question that we asked you, what's the most important factor you consider when choosing a vendor or supplier for your business. 78% said reputation and reliability. 19% of you said price competitiveness. 2% said environmental responsibility. And 1% said comment below. 
Scott says, combination of rep, relationship, and price. There's a balance that should equal the necessary service level or above combined with competitive pricing. Too many shippers say this vendor has always provided high service and we aren't charging. And some vendors take advantage with higher pricing. Measuring service and running a regular RFP, RFQ cadence results in the necessary service performance combined with competitive price. Danielle says all of the above and Kanda agreed with Danielle. Vanessa, several factors play into my decision to become partners with a supplier. Fair price, statistic or static lead times, good communication, willingness to willingness to grow with our company, not just cash our checks. Such an amazing point. Jacob, depends what they're supplying. Not all vendors should be chosen equally. Bathroom supplies, price, critical raw materials, culture fit with own organization, complementary capabilities, potential for long-term partnership. Paula says a combination. Mahai says everyone says they choose reliability until they have to appoint the winner of the tender. And that is 99% of cases. In fact, the lower price. Well, thank you so much to everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. We ask you a question every single Wednesday morning over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page and now our Instagram page as well. So head over there and be part of the conversation, be part of the community. So now back to today's podcast and the powerhouse woman in supply chain I have with me today is Juliet Sampson. With over 20 years of experience as an executive global business operations and technology leader, Juliet has been integral to driving organizational growth for IT and supply chain operations. With expertise in revenue acceleration, advanced negotiations, project and program management, Juliet is passionate about digitization initiatives that transform businesses. Today, Juliet will be talking to us about her career so far. The new trend of hyper-collaboration, how supply chain tech is changing, and helping to raise the influence of women on boards. Plus, she'll be sharing her experiences as a woman in supply chain, as well as her words of advice for all of the women following in her footsteps. Now, we couldn't have the Woman in Supply Chain series without our sponsor, SAP. Women fuel the success of some of the world's most successful businesses, yet barriers still exist. SAP is committed to supporting and elevating a new generation of women to profoundly lead and impact global supply chains and are proud to support Women in Supply Chain series and its efforts. Supply chains need to evolve from low cost and optimized to risk resilient and sustainable, and SAP can help. SAP Digital Supply Supply chain solutions connect the entire process, design, planning, manufacturing, logistics, maintenance, and service, connecting your supply chains to the rest of your business and all of your contextual data, supporting your efforts in alleviating risk in your supply chains. SAP is the market leader in enterprise application software and for the last 50 years has been helping companies to run better. Find out more at sap.com forward slash SCM. So welcome to the show, Juliet. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. This is a very exciting time in the industry, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about about myself and about what is happening out there. Yes, I am so excited to have you here. I mean, your career journey and achievements so far 
are such an inspiring example to the next generation of supply chain professionals. Your contribution to boards and commitment to giving back is amazing. And honestly, I don't know how you find the time, how you even found the time today for this interview, but I'm really glad that you did. I'm really looking forward to finding out more. So let's just dive right in. You have a degree in electrical engineering and following that, you really pursued the business world and were chosen for all sorts of programs. Fast-track executive leadership development at Columbia, high-potential leadership executive program at Harvard. That is truly amazing. How did you find yourself on that path? And where did that incredible drive and ambition come from at such a young age? Well, Sarah, thank you so much for asking that and for being so um, generous in terms of how you're presenting all of this relative to my background um, to start off, I was I was made in Romania, um, and I was raised by two Holocaust survivors. Wow! Um, which in itself gives me sort of the growth and the ambition to succeed, mm-hmm. um, just because of their background and the way I was raised. Um, I came to the United States as a young uh, person. Um, I lived in New York, Queens. When I came here at the age of 12, I went to high school here. And like you said, I went to college here. Um, And I had the fortune to um, get educated in engineering at a great university, as you mentioned, at Cornell, uh, where I paid my way through by doing research, um, by working at the physics library, um, and working at what they call um, their synchrotron, which is an electron-positron accelerator, which kind of got me involved into the engineering space, um, all of which gave me so much independence and the opportunity to do hard work um, and get to where I am today. Amazing, amazing. And I could just imagine, I mean, the resiliency that you grew up in, like your household was, you know, that was a really, really tough time um, for a lot of people. And I can only imagine what that was like for you at such a young age. But what you pulled from them was the hard work and the resiliency, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they, they were some incredible people. They have passed. I'll talk about it a little bit later, probably. Um, when I get a chance to talk about my parents, but they were a huge influence and, um, you know, they were, they were hard workers, right? So they came back from, from surviving some atrocities and then they emigrated from a communist world to to the land of, of the free. Um, and, and seeing that gave me a lot of energy and a lot of ambition for sure. I love that. I can't wait to find out more. But how did you find yourself in the worlds of supply chain and technology after that? You know, what was your experience in those early years? Because you were at Nokia in the 90s. And, um, you know, what a time to be in tech. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, a lot of this sort of kind of happened. But because of um, my parents' sort of vision and need for stability, they were always directing me to work for like a stable, big company, you know, where I can spend my the rest of my life at because that's how right. things were in those days. And so I started out in Western Electric, which is the manufacturing arm of, of AT&T. And I started in a place called Reading, Pennsylvania. Not everybody heard of this place. It's the land of um, Amish, Amish country. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent 22 years in manufacturing, in research and development, wow. in product management, in strategy, uh, and finally in services. And because I spent such a long time in such a huge company, which was truly a $90 billion company with roughly one and a half million employees, the opportunities were there to move jobs every three years. And I and I did. And I took advantage of that mm-hmm. um, while I was traveling the world. And I just learned a tremendous amount. And um, and during this time, I had the fortune to work for um, a very significant figure um, in the marketplace. Um, I was a chief of staff for Carly Fiorina. She was the first Fortune 50 female in United States. Wow. She was the CEO of Hewlett Packard. Um, but at the time, she was working at um, AT&T, and I was her chief of staff. Later on, I did a spinoff with her um, from AT&T uh, to Lucent. Lucent was a spinoff. Um, and I also led uh, Y2K um, under her leadership. Um, knowing her and working for her, I, I really have learned that I can do anything I set my mind to. She took me away from what you call the bits and bytes of technology and kind of helped me see the bigger picture, um, take a look at sort of the business benefits of of engineering. Um, And I really, you know, moved more into strategy and more into things that I never thought I'm going to go to. And it kind of launched my career, honestly. Amazing. I love to hear that. And that was from another woman, right? I think that was from another woman. Right. So if you look her up, I mean, she's pretty well known in the industry. And uh, Mm -hmm. later on, she had a political career, which wasn't all that successful, but she was very successful um, being a CEO at HP. and, And I learned a tremendous amount from her. I love hearing that. So then yeah. give us an overview of where your career kind of went from there. You've got a lot of achievements. You've got a lot of highlights. Um, so talk to us about those and maybe also let us know what what you've been the most proud of um, up until, you know, going to GenPro. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is a tough question, but yet a, it's a very rich question, I think. Um you know, from the times of AT&T, my career really elevated into new markets, um, new areas, new segments, um, such as financial services. Um, I was at Merrill Lynch. Um, I went to the pharmaceutical industry, um, wow. which was Pfizer. And after all of these Fortune 50 experiences, um, later on in my career, I decided to move more into the food and beverage world. Okay. Um, And more into the smaller companies, roughly around $200 million, 100 people. Um, So I worked at World Final Foods, which was uh, prior to my current role. And my current role is in logistics at GenPro. Um, You know, it's interesting. Um, I, you know... I, you know, after spending so many years at AT&T um, and, you know, you mentioned it was Nokia because they actually got sold to Alcatel and then they got sold to Nokia. Got it. Um, that, that was actually Lucid, the spinoff. Um, it was kind of interesting um, to kind of expand outside the telecom industry. So the telecom industry was actually shrinking in 2004. Mm-hmm. And I had to make a decision and I, I, I decided to, to really kind of expand and go into more information technology. Um, and then it was interesting because sometimes, you know, you kind of ask sometimes, you know, is your 
path very direct or very, you know, segmented and zigzag. And while I really planned out my career at a very young age, um, I had a manager who actually asked me to kind of lay out my career. Um, and I did for the next five years. Um, but oftentimes you plan things and other things happen. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, and they happen for, in my opinion, looking back for the best. Right. Um, so, you know, after I left the Fortune 50 world, I wanted to work closer to to my home. Um, I wanted not to travel into Manhattan, um, which was, you know, at the Lincoln Tullin at 6 a.m. and home at 7 um, p.m., you know, raising Long two days. kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was very fortunate that I had an opportunity at a smaller company, which was World Final Foods. And uh, at World Final Foods, because it was a smaller company, you know, I was able to elevate myself into a role of CIO. Mm-hmm. Um, and six months into my role there, I expanded into supply chain. Um, and this is kind of important to note that sometimes opportunities come to you and it is important to do things that maybe others don't want or maybe... Right. They give you something you haven't done in the past. Like supply chain is not something I did in the past, but it was a gap. Um, I was offered the opportunity and I picked it up. So here I was at a mid-sized company with two executive roles, reporting to the board of directors and the CEO. And I had an opportunity to do some really, really amazing things. And I took this company from a loss to a profit, um, turned them around and um and eventually you know we we increased the top line and we uh we sold the company. Amazing. So you know just to sort of address you know um what are the achievements or things that I'm proud of and what am I most proud of. Um there are a lot of firsts that I had the opportunity in doing. Mm-hmm. Um one of those back at AT&T was to connect the United States to the world through undersea cable communication. And I was actually involved in that and that's a that's a big wow. deal, you know. That is a big deal. Today we just talk to everyone on the phone, but you know at those times that wasn't the case and to connect the two continents was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and then part of that project, you know, I I I had a patent in aligning a single mode fiber to a photodiode, which probably doesn't mean much to you, but maybe some of the people listening, it may mean something. Uh, it was a big deal at that time, and I felt real proud of that. Um, awesome. Then I had an opportunity to build a telephone factory in another country, which was in Brazil, in a trade-free zone called Manaus. Um, I was part of introducing the very first wireless technology in the United States. I owned one of the very first uh, car cell phones, which was very cool. I still have it. It's it's really interesting to look at. Um, and, and then I spent time um, in doing mergers and acquisitions. Um, so at Merrill Lynch, I did an integration of about five banks into Merrill Lynch. Hmm. At Pfizer, I integrated Wyeth um, to Pfizer in the technology space. Um, and I did some um, uh, divestitures, which was the baby formula to Nestle's. And the animal health business went to Zoetis. That's when Zoetis was created. I'm sure you heard of the company, one of the biggest animal health companies. Um, so as you can see, I did many things. But the question is, you know, what are you most proud of? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be very honest with you, I, I am most proud of the children that I created yeah. and what I'm leaving behind. Awesome. Um, however, um, in, in terms of work, um, at World Final Foods, I, we did a turnaround 
but we did a turnaround without reducing the roles. Mm-hmm. So whether we while we did have some resource changes, we did not reduce the roles, so people were able to stay. So here we are, a company that's not doing well. Uh, you did we had to do a turnaround. We had to save a lot of money, but yet we kept the people, and that's that to me is a big deal because it's very people oriented. There uh, is so much to be proud of in all of those achievements. And I'm glad that you talked about the professional and the personal, because at the end of the day, you know, you and I grew up in a world where they were separated. You know, you didn't talk about personal in your professional life. And today I think we can, we can break that barrier. And I think that it's very important that we think about you know, our personal and our professional lives, because we bring our best selves that way when we're in our personal environment and our professional environment, if we're able to be holistically all of ourselves. And so I'm glad that you brought up, you know, being a mother and and your children as one of the achievements, but also talking about something that was professional. And you can be, you can have lots of proud moments in your career. And you've, you've just shown us that. Now, you're currently the CIO of GenPro, which is a logistics service company. I want to um, ask you about supply chain tech in just a second, but you previously said that th- this was a gap for you. You'd never done supply chain before. And too often I hear that women aren't raising their hands for roles because they don't think that they have enough experience. And here you are saying yeah. you had no experience you had this opportunity come to you. What was going through your head that you were like, you know what? Let's do it. I can do this. Because I'd like to be able to share that kind of mindset with some of the other women in this industry so that they can go for it too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, great question. And, you know, I'm a true believer in... um really jumping in and doing things that you don't think you can do. And as I mentioned to you earlier, working for Carly um, was one of those moments where I never, ever imagined that I could do strategy because I was an engineer. I was a bits and bytes, a numbers person. And she said, listen, you know, strategy is very logical. It's not something up in the ether. And she kind of gave me an opportunity to do things that I really didn't think I could. Right. So later on, as I grew older um, and I had this opportunity at World Finer Foods to pick up supply chain, I, you know, I raised my hand. Actually, I didn't raise my hand. I was asked to do it. Um, and I, I very quickly said yes. And I went home and I thought, oh, you know, I'm really nervous about this. But to be honest, it's not rocket science. It's moving product from one place to another, you know, optimizing your inventory, looking at, at your warehouse. They're, they're very basic um, logical things. And I think that in order for women or people to Mm -hmm. succeed, you have to stretch yourself beyond the comfort level. And that's the only way you can move ahead. If you're always going to be in your comfort zone, there's always going to be a reason why you can't do something because you haven't studied it or you haven't learned it or you haven't done it. So you just have to, you just have to do it. It's a very scary thing. But as soon as you jump in it and you do it, all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is not such a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, And then you have so much benefits later on and you can start connecting things. You know, you're doing all these different kinds of things. And then then you kind of step away and say, these are all connected. Like all of this is connected. Supply chain is nothing more 
than really good technology, to be honest with you. You know, so it, you're you're applying it in a particular area, but it it truly is technology efficiency, scalability, capabilities. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I would say I would say people are a really important part of that too, because I feel like supply chain, the people in supply <laughs> chain are a very unique bunch of people and problem solvers, you know, so many different things. And so I think people are also really important to that supply chain because you've got so many different moving parts. But going back to what you were saying about technology, because I have a lot of really interesting conversations around the possibilities of tech, right? But there's also limitations like budgets, team buy-in, integration. What's your take on all of this? And how has supply chain tech changed over the course of your career? I mean, um, you know, good question. So I think technology is, in my opinion, an enabler. Um, you know, when I worked in the telecom industry, you know, technology was the business, but in supply chain, it's an enabler. Um, and I think in many industries, it's an enabler. Um, I think technology is always going to change and grow. And I think that there is definitely a fear um, whenever technology takes over our day-to-day -day work. Um, right. But I'm a true believer that it's very important to work smarter than harder. Yeah. And I think of technology as an enabler to work smarter. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't feel like technology is taking away my job. I think that technology is elevating the role that I play where I bring in predictive analytics or mm -hmm. analytics or looking at how to improve your overall business as opposed to, you know, typing in things and using all these different platforms. And, you know, I just think technology between AI, machine learning, people are truly afraid of that, but I really look at it as an enabler. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think um, is happening in the industry, and actually it was just a recent um, article in the Wall Street Journal about this, and this has to do with workplace singularity. So like, wouldn't it be nice if, if we could just have everything in one place? Mm -hmm. um, in the logistics world, I see that as the transportation management system. So, you know, we work with carriers, we work with uh, warehouses, um, we work with transportation management systems. Um, wouldn't it be nice if we can just go to one place and have everything that we need to have pricing, have carriers, have um, service levels, have, you know, all of those things in one place. And that's sort of how I imagine things. And, um, you know, I just think technology is not going to stop. It's going to move forward. And I think we have to embrace it as opposed to fight it and yeah. figure out how to use it in the best way. Yeah, I agree with you. And you lead the technology committee at Target Tech, which I think you've described as a hyper collaboration startup. Yes. What do you mean by hyper collaboration? I mean, you know, the sign behind me, collaboration is the future of business. You're speaking my language. Why is that approach increasingly important when it comes to business? And what exactly does it mean? So one of, you know, one of my, my roles is I'm the board um, director in a, in a newly launched company called Target Tech. Mm -hmm. And um, 
anybody's interested in that, of course, they can go to targatech.com um, and learn more about it or, or just reach out to me. Um, this is a platform where, so, you know, where you can imagine that you open up your computer and today you're on Windows, but tomorrow imagine that you're on this platform and everything is integrated in that platform. So your Zoom and your team is integrated. Your Outlook is integrated. Your projects, your action items that roll up all the way to your strategy. So everybody could see how their specific action item rolls up into the company strategy. Um, it helps leaders lead. Um, so imagine, you know, having that and not just having that, but not typing, but talking to it. So imagine talking to it. Imagine having a device like your cell phone with an app in your pocket where you could actually see, if I go back to logistics at Gen Pro, you can actually see how my customer could actually tell where is their truck, at what point, what is their service level, what is their inventory level. Like imagine that you can see all that and, and that you can talk to it and say, hey, I want to meet with John Smith tomorrow at two o'clock. And that meeting gets put on your calendar or imagine driving to work and talking to your dashboard and telling your dashboard, um, please set up a meeting with Sarah Barnes Humphrey at nine o'clock tomorrow to discuss inventory. Right. Um, and all that can be done through what I call hyper collaboration platform that Target Tech offers. I also feel that these capabilities, um, if I could build them in a transportation management system, which we're doing, will differentiate GenPro from any other broker. Mm. Um, and I really feel that while GenPro is not a technology company, it's a logistics broker, the differentiator between broker A and broker B would be the technology, the visibility of their carriers on how they could see where they're at at any one point, service levels, analytics. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I think will make us different. So if anyone is interested in logistics, you know, email me and we can we can talk. <laughs> I love that. And I like the hyper collaboration. You're like really speaking my language and the fact that I've got to log into all these different places to see all sorts of different things that I, I need to do, like tasks and, and stuff like that. And we're starting to get connected in a few different ways, but you're connecting outside platforms to each other. And so um, I can definitely see the benefit from that you know, in business in general and then also in the logistics side. But Let's talk about something that's a little bit more personal to you because you're also on the board of the National Kidney Foundation, which I know is very important to you. What do you want to share about what the organization does and perhaps maybe give the listeners an indication of how they might be able to support you? Yeah, thank you, Sarah, for asking that. Um, it, this is an important mission, I think. Um, it's been in the news many times. Um, so obviously the National Kidney Foundation is supporting um, kidney donors uh, and, ki and kidney receivers. And this is a big medical problem of millions of people. Um, and what people don't realize is that we, we all have two kidneys and we can live perfectly well on one with absolutely no limitations whatsoever. Um, and this is important to me because both me and my husband are kidney donors. I wanted to donate. Um, I obviously I, I couldn't because they found a huge tumor on my kidney. 
Um, and they removed it, but it was through a donation process mm-hmm. uh, that they found it. So actually, I saved my life by being wow. a giver, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I also have close family members that were kidney receivers, um, which is why this foundation is particularly important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it helps millions of people. And, you know, you can read through um, the evolution of what happened with, um, you know, kidney recipients and kidney donors, um, how we do chains, like, you know, you don't have to match anymore your your blood type and your other things. You can actually donate to one person whose donor can donate to another person. And I think the longest chain of that was like 50. So wow. there were 50 operations at one time. Um, by flying around kidneys that match the different people. Very, very interesting. There's a wow. software that does that and so on. Anyway, I'm highly supportive of this. I'm on the board of directors. And really, my role is to um, not only help them, you know, obviously co- collect money to support mm-hmm. research, but also to bring awareness to companies. And um like I said, I think it's a it's a really good um, cause. And um, again, I provide it uh, for you if you want to add it to our podcast, um, the kidney donation and the kidney organization. We have a big golf outing on May 15th. If anybody wants to join, um, they're welcome to. And um, yeah, I just feel like I'm giving back a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I we I also have a nonprofit and I think it's important again, you know, going back to the personal and the professional side of of somebody is, you know, what causes and organizations are they passionate about? Are they giving back to? Are they spending time with? Um, And really giving a voice to those organizations and talking more about what those organizations do, because we only learn by, you know, listening to conversations like this and opening up about, you know, what you're passionate about and why, and it could resonate with somebody else. And so I appreciate you for sharing that and for giving back through that foundation. Now, you've spent pretty much your whole career in a male-dominated space. So what has your experience been like as a woman and also a mother? Because you mentioned earlier you have two children that you've raised alongside this enviable career that you've built. So talk to us a bit about that. Thank you so much again for these nice uh, words of recognition. Um, Yeah, I work in a male-dominating world. Um, but honestly, I always consider that as part of life. I never looked at it in that way. Um, like I said, I came from a communist world where people typically are considered equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I came to the United States, for me, there wasn't a separation between men and women. Um, and so I considered it as normal and part of life. Um, however, as I progressed through my career, um, I have realized how much underpaid I was. Mm. Uh, in my 22 years at AT&T, I had huge roles, um, had a lot of people working for me, great opportunities, like I mentioned earlier, but I really didn't know how little I was being paid until I actually left. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, when you stay with a company as long as 22 years, you get, you know, two to 3% increases when you get a promotion, maybe you get 4%, but you never get that, that, that step function raise. And I, I didn't quite realize that until much later. Mm. Um, but I, I was always a believer of if you work hard, keep yourself focused, get things done, 
um, be responsible, you know, things come. Um, and I think that they do, but sometimes you have to help it, right? You have to, and, and today, you know, today the information is out there. You have Glassdoor, you have, you have a lot of information, which I didn't have in the past. Right. Um, so, you know, so I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of thinking through like, um, you know, how did that really affect, affect me? But like, like I mentioned, you know, my mom is, was a biochemist. She passed away at 94 last year. My father was a physicist. You know, we were in the sciences. I never really differentiated. But like I said, as I grew older, I did realize that there were differences. Um, and now I'm a big proponent on supporting um, women and um, honestly supporting young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to distinguish. I want to help the young people really figure out how to do things right and doing the right things. To me, that's super important. And I do believe that if you do it well, it will come. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe in that. Um, and you're you're a member of Extraordinary Women on Boards, right? And I, I think that also yeah. plays into what you just talked about and how you're supportive of other women in industry. So talk to us about that organization. What do what are yeah. they doing to increase the presence and influence of women on boards? Because I just saw something on Instagram, I think it was. We now have women of color that's outweighing the number of men named John on boards. <laughs> Crazy stat. Love that. Love that. Um, you know, Things have evolved in the last 25 years, 30 mm-hmm. years, a lot. And, you know, now when I sit around the boardroom or around a meeting, I don't really notice anymore. In the past, I would say, oh, you know, there's another woman. Or Today, I don't really notice that because there are. There are women. There are they're people of color. There are yeah. all kinds of cultures. So, so I kind of like that. And what I, what I like the most, um, Sarah, that I wanted to say is, I enjoy, you know, if you remember in the old days, you know, men did business in the bathroom. You know, they chatted stuff. On well, the now, golf course, in the bathroom. The golf I mean... Right. <laughs> but now women can go to the bathroom and chat. And we do. You it's know, happened. It has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so what EWAP, um, what EWAP does, you know, I joined this group. It's a group of extremely powerful women. I tell you, I really feel like this big when I talk to all of them because they're such achievers. <laughs> um, these are women that are already are on boards. Um, so they, they only take women that are already on boards. But it's a it's an organization where we are truly like sisterhood, if you will. We really, really help each other. Um, when you're on a board, you have risk, you have governance, you have all kinds of challenges. And it's really good to go to a place where you can, you know, call someone and say, hey, have you had this experience? How do you deal with this? And I got to tell you, the women in this group are so giving. They're so honest. They're so it's really humbling. And I and I love, love to see that because I I believe in collaboration. I believe in an open book. I believe in, you know never buying a product or doing something without talking to someone that already has done it. You know, um, this is an organization that really supports and, and, and helps us do that, particularly to board roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am really, you know, Lisa and Lisa are the two women that are managing this. They, they came out of Goldman Sachs. They did it as a hobby. 
I think 20 years ago, they did it for free for about five or six years. And then I said, hey, we can do a business from this. Now they're charging for it, but very well worth it because we have good speakers and we really collaborate a lot. I will have to look into it. You've gotten me, you know, wanting to learn more. And I I love that. And I love to hear that there's organizations out there that are helping. And Sarah, if you are are a board member um, of a of a for-profit, I'm happy to make the introductions if you're interested. Okay, awesome. We'll talk after the after our yeah. conversation here. Now, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about advice. So, what yeah. advice would you have for women um, looking to come into the industry, in the industry, maybe for leaders, um, and also maybe for working mothers? We didn't really tap into what it was like yeah. being a working mother through your career. So, give us some advice on a couple of different levels. So just addressing, um, you know, being a career and 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 a wife and a mother, um, it is absolutely super challenging. Yeah. Um, you absolutely have to figure out how to build a support system around you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very, very important. A support system with a babysitter, a nanny, um, a daycare, um, you know, some of your colleagues at work. I mean, there were there were moments in my life when um, I had a child that was very ill and I needed help and people at work helped me. And so right. the work didn't stop. We got stuff done. But in the meantime, people around me, in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's important as a mother to figure out how do you create an environment around you that can support you with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was fortunate. I was able to, to manage that. And now my kids are 28 and 30 and thank God they're doing fantastic. Um, as far as advice, there's quite a lot that I would want to emphasize. First of all, never give up and never give up your beliefs and your wants. Those are important. As long as they're not crazy, like they have to be reachable goals, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're uh, 12 years old and say, I want to be a president, that's nice. But like, you have to really just have <laughs> goals that are achievable, right? Because coming up with achievable goals gives you the satisfaction that you achieve them. And you have right. to really take it one step at a time. You can't project out 25 years, right? That's a little too difficult. But don't give up the things that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, think out of the box, Think out of the norm. You know, you don't have to go with the crowd and with the norm. You can have a different point of view mm-hmm. and you can think about that and you can bring that up because sometimes if you bring up very different points of views, which is why having a culturally mixed group is really important. So in the hiring process, I tend not to hire people like me. I tend to hire people that are different from me, which is uncomfortable, but you have to do it. Because you get that different perspective. So thinking out of the box, um, I would say, you know, believe in yourself, um, but understand that you have to invest time and energy. Like things don't just come, right? You have to help it. And you have to do things that are maybe not conventional, maybe not in a direct straight line. Um, Put yourself out there. Put Mm -hmm. yourself out there because by being out there, things happen and then you can pick up on those things. 
um, volunteer to do things, um, volunteer, do things outside your comfort level. We talked about that before. Um, also, don't be afraid of change. Change is inevitable. The only thing that is constant is change. Mm-hmm. And until you learn to embrace it, um, you can have a difficult time. So try to embrace those change. Change is typically good. May not look like that at the beginning, but when you look back, you say, hey, I learned something from that. Mm-hmm. And always keep in mind that learning is a constant and little nuggets, little golden threads, little things can really, you know, change your perspective. And so keep an open mind. Um, and last thing, a door that closes is a door that also opens. And so those are my overall advice, I guess. That is such amazing advice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just hear the pens on the paper or the people taking the notes on their phone mm-hmm. of these little nuggets that you're giving to <laughs> us, Juliet. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I think this is fascinating, but we do have to wind it down. So my last question to you is what is next in your journey? What are you excited yeah. about? What is what is something that's coming down the line for you? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm not really sure. I have a view. I have a vision. Uh Um, So I think I have a lot of work to do here at GenPro. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very excited about what we're doing here. We're we're scaling the company, we're digitizing, we're transforming. Um, Very exciting times. So I see myself here for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also see myself giving back um, my vast experience. And the best way to do that is through board work. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my little advertisement, depending on who's listening. If you guys are interested in a great board member, um, I am looking to do one more um, board assignment for a, a large public or private company. Um, uh, but I think that doing that, so i I always you know I always loved to teach. Um, that's something that I always enjoyed, and I, I had my own uh, private tutoring business, which I really didn't talk about. But mm-hmm. overall, I like I like to give back. Um, so I think that uh, board work um, in my future is uh, is gonna stay. Yay. And advocating for yourself. That was just an amazing example about advocating for yourself and taking the opportunity to do that. Now, that was such a fascinating conversation. And we feature a lot of different women on the show at different stages of their careers and with different paths to success. But if you're a young person or student of supply chain, you're wondering what could be possible for you. I mean, look no further than Juliet Sampson. She has navigated male-dominated spaces with power and grace, forged an incredible career in leadership, tech, and supply chain, and is passionate about giving back to the community, using her platform to lend a voice to the next generation of women. She's a wonderful example, and I hope you all feel as inspired as I do. Juliet, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Sarah, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really hope that this helps, even if it helps one person, that's great. Um, I am always available if anybody wants to reach out. Um, But thank you so much for this opportunity, Sarah.
Did you know that the average cost of losing an hourly supply chain worker has reached $19,607? And that recent research shows that 77% of hourly supply chain workers are considering a job change in the next three months. This could have a huge impact on your productivity, bottom line, and culture. Workstep is helping supply chain companies to better engage their distributed hourly workforce at scale. Understand the true reasons behind their workforce turnover and take actions to make positive changes and reduce attrition. Workstep has successfully helped many companies reduce their frontline worker turnover by up to 36%. Visit workstep.com to learn more. If you would like to hear more from us at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more content for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to Let's Talk Supply Chain dot com to check out the latest. And if you have a supply chain challenge, we've most likely had them on the show. So um, go and use the search bar on our website, put in your keyword, and that information will come in. And remember to come back next week where I'll be joined by Jonas from Logword, a logistics tech company offering supply chain management as a service and end-to-end visibility. I'll be asking Jonas all about Logword's sourcing, procurement, and transportation solutions and about how they're creating customizable supply chain control towers to help you integrate with partners, increase visibility, and automate processes. They're an exciting company. I'm looking forward to putting the spotlight on them. So make sure you tune in. If you enjoy the show, there's a few ways to support us. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. We're also over on TikTok and subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com and head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain YouTube channel. You can also find some really cool merch and our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com. And have you heard of the Secret Society of Supply Chain? Well, you definitely want to head over to letstalksupplychain.com, take the quiz, find out what group is right for you, and join the waitlist. That's right. We are bringing the community together in a variety of different groups curated exclusively for supply chainers. And I cannot wait because we are going to be launching soon. We only have a limited amount of spots. So definitely go and join the waitlist to secure your spot. And remember, if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.